book of Jonah, chapter number one. Amen. I'm so thankful to be in an apostolic church this morning. Amen. That means we preach and teach what the apostles preached and taught. Repentance and water baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It's the best thing, I promise you. It's the best thing that's ever happened in my life. Amen. Thankful to be born again the Bible way. Jonah 1 and 1 and 2, if you found it, say amen. amen. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Arise and go to Nineveh. Look at somebody and say, that great city. And cry against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. Man, I threw around several titles in my head for this message. And I'll be honest, I'm standing here feeling like I picked the worst one. But I want to preach for a while about a Jonah generation. If I, if I could go back and rename it, I'd probably say, don't be a Jonah. But I didn't, so it's a Jonah generation. Lord, I pray that you would help me preach. God, I thank you for every soul that's gathered in your house this morning. And everyone that's watching online. I ask you, Lord Jesus, for your anointing to destroy yokes. I pray, God, for a work and a move of the Holy Ghost. I pray in the name of Jesus for you to confirm your word with signs following. In the name of Jesus, do a work of your spirit in this place. Let it happen not by power and not by might, but, God, let it be by your spirit in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise today. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. It was the former Secretary of State, William Jennings Bryan, who said, and I quote, if the Bible had said that Jonah swallowed the whale, I'd believe it. Tim Keller wrote that the Bible does not say that every difficulty is a result of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty. And he added, all sin has a storm attached to it. The city of Nineveh was founded shortly after the great flood. It's first mentioned in your Bible in Genesis chapter number 10 and verse 11, where the great, great grandson of Noah founded the city. It rose to power about 900 B.C. It became the capital of one of the great empires of history known as the Assyrians. The Assyrians were known to be extremely brutal and cruel. One of their favorite pastimes was the skinning of their captives alive. The prophet Nahum described the people of the city of Nineveh as lions tearing and feeding on the nations. They were, by all historical accounts, a violent, brutal, lion-like 
city. And that city became the assignment for Jonah the prophet. One of the most notorious cities in all of history. Nineveh embodied the best and the worst of human life at its time. It was incredibly advanced technologically for its generation. And it also was incredibly wicked. It was known for its great wealth, but also known for the horrible debauchery of its population. Thomas Boland said, quote, cities are morally ambivalent places to hold out the promise of excitement and the threat of danger. At once sites of corruption and sites of great human achievement. And so was the city of Nineveh. Many achievements, but also much corruption. Nineveh was a massive city by ancient accounts, taking three days to walk across it. It also was known to be thoroughly evil. Their own king said that they had violence in their hands. God said that their evil had come up before him. Non-biblical sources referred to Nineveh as lawless and as a ruined city. Greek literary giants Herodotus and Aristotle, even they commented on the city's sinfulness. Thomas Lodge and Robert Greene wrote extensively of Nineveh's sinfulness, saying that her evil kings as well as demons and murderers lived there, and forced incest was rampant. David Anderson said that Nineveh, he called it a reign of violence and terror, torture and killing conquered peoples as they pridefully carried home parts of their enemies' leaders' bodies as souvenirs of war. He referred to Nineveh as the most cruel capital. He said also that Jonah feared the Assyrians and wanted nothing to do with them and was delighted at the thought that God was going to destroy them in a mere 40 days. If you've been paying attention so far in this message, Nineveh has been described by historians and kings and prophets and philosophers and modern authors as violent, brutal, cruel, thoroughly evil, morally ambivalent, lawless, ruined, a criminal empire, sinful with demons, murderers, and incest. That's how the historians saw Nineveh. That's how the prophets saw Nineveh. That's how philosophers authors and their own king saw the city but the bible said in jonah chapter number one and verse number one that the word of the lord came to jonah when god began to speak what everyone else said about the city didn't really matter last sunday i preached a message titled how god sees you amen and it's what god sees that's most important So we know how history sees Nineveh. But how did God see that wicked, evil, perverted city? 
What God said is what matters. Don't let other people define your life. It's not what others say about you. It's what God says about you that matters in the end. And so here's what God said to Jonah in chapter number one and verse number two. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. God looked at Nineveh and he knew it was sinful and he knew it was wicked and he knew that it was full of all kinds of terrible things. But when God looked at the sinner, he didn't say go and destroy the city. He said go to that great city. Can I tell you that in all of our communities, there's a great city waiting to be born again. I know there's wickedness and I know there's sinfulness and I know that our communities are full of all kinds of sin. But where we see sin, God sees somebody that he wants to save. And when we see somebody that's a criminal or a problem to society, God sees a soul that he wants to be in heaven for eternity. And so God sees all of our cities as great cities. Somewhere in our community this morning, there's drunks who are sleeping off their night out from last night. There's meth addicts who haven't slept for days because that drug is coursing through their bodies. There's abusive husbands who went to bed last night full of rage. Adulterers hoping their spouses won't find out. Rebellious young people full of anger. Girls who let boys use them because their self-esteem is damaged. There are people who have committed crimes of violence. All of that are in our cities. Our cities contain all kinds of sin and all kinds of sinners. All kinds of wickedness. They are carnal, worldly, wicked, violent, lawless, mean, disrespectful, and broken people. In our cities are backsliders who hate the man of God and hate holiness preaching and hate the church. They think God's a fairy tale and that worship is foolish. These are the people that are in our cities, people who have hurt others, people who have been hurt by others. But the question is not how do I see them? I may see troublemakers, but God sees a future choir member. I may see people sowing discord, but God sees a future church member teaching Sunday school. We see enemies of the truth, but God sees future saints that he wants to fill with his power. It's not how I see my city, but how does God see my city? To God, it's a great city. God cares about sinners. God cares about broken people. God cares about lost people. He cares about wounded people and hurting people. He cares about the evil and the violent and the sinful. If God would look at Nineveh and see it as a great city, then we know that God looks down on all humanity with compassion. Amen. I'm trying to preach something into the heart of this church today. God would rather forgive people and save them than judge people and punish them. He would rather they be born again than they die lost. God is in the saving business, not the condemning business. Oh, I wish I had an amen. 
You know what bothers me? Sometimes when I preach about judgment on sin, people shout more than they do when I preach about mercy and grace. But this church ought to be more about mercy than we are about anything else. God sees us as a great city. God sees us as a great city. I know it's got issues. I know there's sinners out in the world. I know there's all kinds of stuff. But God wants them all to be saved. Amen. There's two things. And I'm, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. And I'm also trying, I'm trying not to get in a hurry. And I'm trying not to go too slow. And I don't know if anybody ever thought I was guilty of being in too big a hurry when I'm preaching. There's two things the Bible tells us that God's looking for. First, the Bible said that the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God's looking for worshipers. Do you want to know why God has patience with some people who are always messing up and always backsliding and always doing all kinds of crazy stuff, but they always find themselves back to an altar to worship? It's because God loves worshipers. He has patience for worshipers. And if you want God to be patient with you, you ought to be a worshiper. Because the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is looking for people to worship Him. Amen. God, I think God's a little tired of arenas and stadiums being full of people worshiping athletes or politicians or actors or singers. And then they won't come to church and worship Him. God is looking for somebody to worship Him. That's what the Bible said. He's seeking worshipers. The second thing that the Bible says that God's looking for, it said that Jesus came to seek and to save lost people. God wants to deliver people. Amen. Thank God. Hallelujah. Paul had to remind the good Christian folk they had forgotten what they had been brought out of. They were so thankful to be saved that they had forgotten what it was like to be a sinner. And so when Paul starts listing all the sins they had been in that, that people were doing, he starts naming it. He starts talking about drunkenness and revelings and seditions and strife. And the church is saying, amen, get him, preacher. And then the preacher called a timeout and pointed at the church and said, and such were some of you. Let us never forget what God has brought us out of. Don't ever let us forget with compassion that that would have been us if God's mercy, if God's hand hadn't reached God, help us, Lord. Oh, I wish somebody would thank God because he reached down in the miry clay and picked us up and set us on a rock. But don't let me ever forget, God, where you brought me from. God wants to deliver people. Hallelujah. The enemy of your soul. God, I got to get a faster pace here. See, I know how many pages I got left. The enemy of your soul, the devil, Satan, wants to enslave people with yokes, like livestock. An ox is far bigger and stronger than a man, but with a yoke, a man can get the ox to do his bidding. Likewise, Satan wants to enslave you with the yoke of sin. If he is allowed to place that yoke of sin on you, then he can determine the direction your life goes. 
One man with a yoke can control a team of oxen. And the devil puts a yoke on your life. A yoke of addiction, alcoholism, a need for affirmation from somebody, whatever the yoke may be. But that yoke is immaterial, but the purpose of the yoke is to control your life. The devil has yoked this world. He's yoked sinners. And sadly, to a large degree, modern Christianity is yoked by the devil. But I believe that the Bible teaches two simultaneous opposite characteristics of the end time. One of them is that there's going to be a falling away in the end time. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. May I tell you that there will be a falling away of people who had a walk with God, but let sin and carnality and worldliness get a grip on their soul. That had a walk with God, but let all kinds of, of, of things get a hold of their attention. And the Bible said there's going to come first a falling away. The Bible said, and the Bible tells us why there'll be a falling away. Second Thessalonians 2 and 12. That they all might be damned who received, who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They had pleasure in unrighteousness. They loved sin more than they loved being saved. They loved worldliness more than they loved serving God. They loved carnality more than they loved holiness. And the Bible said they received not a love of the truth. They had truth but they didn't fall in love with truth. Their love for worldly things outweighed their love for the truth. And so the Bible doesn't only prophesy about that great falling away, but it also foretells of a great end time revival that's gonna sweep across our world. Amen. Acts 2, 17 and 18. It shall come to pass in the last days. Everybody say the last days. In the last days, saith God. I don't want to get into a whole eschatology explanation tonight, but I'm going to tell you that if you can't look at this world and realize that we are in the last days of our time, then we don't know what the Bible teaches. But I'm telling you, the world is racing towards the end of time. And all that being as it may, I also understand. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, what do you think about all the stuff that's going on in the world? I said, the worse it gets for the world, the better it's going to get for the church. Because God's got to do something to stir people up. I don't want to see a lot of bad stuff happening in the world. But I got bad news for you, honey. The Bible said that in the last days it's going to wax worse and worse. People being deceived and deceiving. The end time's going to be a mess. But I've got a promise from heaven for you that in the last days, saith God... I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. People say our young people in this world are going to hell. They talk about how much of a mess young people are. I got good news for the church that if you let the Holy Ghost move, your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Amen.
I know there's young people doing dope. I know there's young people sleeping around. I know there's young people doing all kinds of stuff, but I also know there's sons and daughters that are prophesying under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. A parent ought to raise their hand and say, God, I claim that promise for my sons and daughters. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. God, let our young men see visions of revival. Let our young men see visions of Holy Ghost outpouring. Don't let them become so cynical and their faith be so damaged by the times we're seeing in the world that we don't see visions of what you're going to do. Your old men shall dream dreams. Praise God. That gives me hope. Hallelujah, that gives me hope for two things. One thing, I get the dream. That also means I get to sleep a little bit. I don't like to take naps. I, don't, I only take a nap if I'm sick. I tell people sleep is for sissies. But about 9.30 tonight, I'm going to be looking for it. Last night about 7.30, I found it. Your old men shall dream dreams. On my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. I know there's a great falling away, but greater than the falling away is the revival that God promised he would send. I know there's going to be people backslide, but more than the people backsliding, there's going to be people coming and being filled with the Holy Ghost and their life turned around. Amen. I've come to preach to you that there's a great Holy Ghost revival for this generation, for this world, for this country, and for this state. There's a Holy Ghost. God said it. Look at somebody. Tell them God said it would happen. In the last days, saith God, the worse it gets out there, the better it's going to get in here. The darker it gets out there, the more light there's going to be in here. The more chaos that's out there, the more peace there's going to be in here. God, I'm asking you, Lord, by the Holy Ghost, send that revival to Bethlehem today. Pour your spirit out, God. Pour it out. Not because I'm preaching, not because our music team sings, but pour it out because hungry people are looking for a move of the Holy Ghost. The solution, the solution for your family is an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The solution for your children is an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The solution for your troubled mind is an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And the good news is God said, I will pour it out. last days hallelujah can I preach a little bit longer Haggai 2 and 9 the glory of this latter house shall be everybody say shall be look at somebody and tell them shall be the glory of the late house the end time house shall be greater than the former or the previous saith the Lord of hosts and in this place Will I give peace? Saith the Lord of hosts. Just like it was prophesied that the latter temple would be greater than the last temple. The glory of the end time church 
is going to be greater than the glory of the first church. It's a promise from the word of God. You ought to reach out and grab that promise and say, God, in all the chaos in the world today, with all the political turbulence and all the financial turbulence and nations, right? Man, every time, every time I read the news online, they're talking about World War III coming and they're talking about NATO getting involved in the Ukraine-Russian war and they're talking about nuke, nuke weapons and all this stuff. And every time, I almost got where I don't even open the news anymore because I know what they're going to say. I can predict. I'm not a, a prophet, but I can predict what they're going to say. I almost don't even open it up. But every time I do, they're talking about how the world is racing. To, but I'm going to tell the world something. You can believe that all you want to, and I got no doubt that it's probably true. But I'll tell you what's greater than that is God said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit I'm looking for the Holy Ghost more than I'm looking for the Antichrist I'm looking for angels more than I'm looking for demons I'm looking for revival more than I'm looking for chaos because the Bible God said it God said I'm going to pour it out you ought to just raise your hands to heaven and say God I want to be a recipient of what you're pouring out I don't want to miss what you're doing. I don't want to be so caught up in my traditions and my life that I miss what you're going to do. Pour it out, God. Pour it out here, God. Pour it out here, God. Pour it out on my family. God, when you're pouring it out on sons and daughters, get Ellie and Kate with the fresh anointing of the Holy Ghost. God, when you're pouring it out, Pour it out on our youth group. Pour it out on our children. Let the Holy Ghost move. I'm talking about, I'm trying to preach hope into somebody. I know what the world says about what's going on out there. But God said he's going to pour out his spirit. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? It's the Bible. It's the word of God. And it's real. Pour it out, God. Pour it out here, Lord. Pour it out here, God. Pour it out on our families. Pour it out on our babies. Pour it out on our parents. Pour it out on this church. Pour it out on Marshall County. Pour it out on North Mississippi. Pour it out. God, do what your word said you would do. God, there will be a great end time stirring of the nations. If you wonder why the Lord has not returned yet. If you look at this wicked world, I've heard it said, if God doesn't come soon, he owes an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. If you wonder why the Lord has not returned yet. If you look at this wicked world and believe it's too late for revival. Go with me to the book of James, chapter number 5, verses 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brethren. He's talking to the church. When he says brethren, he's talking to saved people. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Don't, don't, get, don't, don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. And don't lose faithfulness. Just keep on serving God until the coming of the Lord, church. Don't quit worshiping. Don't quit praying. Don't quit living right. Don't quit being involved. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until 
He received the early and the latter rain. That, that, that sentence, that long sentence I just read said the husbandman or the one that's tending the field is waiting for the harvest, the precious fruit of the earth. And what he's waiting for is until he received the early and the latter rain. What did Joel prophesy? In the last days, that's called the latter rain. He'll pour out the former and the latter rain. He said what God is waiting for is the harvest of the earth that's going to come with an end time latter rain outpouring of the spirit. He said God's waiting on souls. God's waiting on the harvest. That's why he hasn't come back yet. Because there's still people in that great city that need to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. There's still people all over Marshall County and, and Benton County and Union County and Lafayette County and DeSoto County and all over Mississippi that still need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If you want the Lord to come back sooner, go win a soul and bring him in. He's waiting on the harvest. So he said, I, let me, I gotta, man, I do have to go faster. Be also patient. But you know what I'd like somebody to do? I'd like for somebody to go and track how long I preach on men's breakfast days. Because I got a feeling that I preach shorter when I'm hungrier. And I'm not hungry because I ate men's breakfast, so heaven help us. He said, until the latter rain comes and he gets the harvest, he's not coming back. Verse 8, be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Get settled, get rooted, get grounded, get stable, get established. Because the Lord's coming back. But he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. That word precious means costly, expensive, or held dear. God paid a high price for the lost soul. That drug addict that's peddling dope, God paid a high price for that soul. That alcoholic that had a fist fight out in the parking lot of a bar last night, causing all kinds of trouble, spent the night in the lockup somewhere. He paid a high price for that precious fruit. Amen. You don't believe it unless it's your child or your brother or sister or nephew. But I'm telling you, God paid a high price for those sinners out there. And he's waiting on the harvest. So he said, you got to get established and stable because the Lord's coming back. Get ready for revival, folks. The Lord's coming back. And he's coming back for a harvest. Amen. He said, establish, get, get settled because the Lord's come back. Now, I want to preach for just a second on the very next verse. Now, look, in verse 7 and 8, he's talking about the Lord coming back, right? Is that what he's talking about? The Lord's coming back. Am I, amen? Is that what he's preaching about? He said, get established, the Lord's coming back. Look at the very next phrase. Verse 9, grudge not one against another. What did Michael Moppin say? That was so quiet you could hear a rat licking ice. 
James is talking about the Lord coming back, and then the very next thing he says is don't have grudges against one another. Lest you be condemned. He says it'd be a shame for the Lord to come back and people in the church be lost because they're so bitter and hold grudges against people. He said, he said, if you hold grudges, you will be condemned. You holding a grudge against somebody else isn't hurting them, it's condemning you. Well, praise God. You, may, you can quit shouting now. You'll heap condemnation on yourself. Grudges are yokes. Just like adultery is a yoke or murder or worldliness is a yoke. Grudges are yokes and you won't be saved if you hold them. The devil controls people with yokes. He sets direction by the yoke he places on you. If you have lust in your heart, that lust will set, it'll be a yoke and it'll set your direction one way. Whatever your yoke is, it sets your direction. And Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's a great end time move of the spirit. Isaiah 10, 27, it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. God, send your anointing into people's lives and break yokes of sin. God, send your anointing and break yokes of addiction. God, send your anointing and break yokes of false religion and false doctrine and false gods. Lord, break yokes off of people all over this world and all over this area. God, destroy yokes off of people. He said, I'm going to break the yoke by the anointing. I'm going to destroy it. John 8, 36, if the Son therefore shall make you free. Anybody finish that verse? You shall be free. God wants you to be free indeed. Jonah told the great city that God's judgment was imminent. And they believed him and repented. May I tell you that this world is in for a time of great sorrow. What we've seen over the last three or four years is just the beginning. Mankind has chosen wickedness. Man has chosen perversion and sin. Judgment is coming to the world. But know this. That God sees the great city and is sending his people to preach repentance and revival. I've been stirred by seeing the reports of young people gathering for prayer and worship and seeking God on college campuses all over our nation. I've been reading Facebook, but I try not to. It makes me mad. You have smart people say some of the dumbest stuff. Man, I had about 15 things I wanted to preach about social media, but I'm going to not do that. But if you want my opinion on these college campus revivals, I believe that God has turned to the hearts of young people for our last great hope of revival. Can I say some stuff and you good church folks won't get mad at me too much? Too many Pentecostals are so satisfied on their pew. 
They don't want to win souls. They don't want to pray. They don't want to worship. I know not everybody. I know not everybody. But I traveled this nation preaching all over this country. And I can tell you that churches all over America that claim to have the truth are too bound by self-absorption to get out of their box and really have a move of God. Too many apostolics are bound by worldliness and are too busy, too busy to be involved, too busy to teach Sunday school, too busy to be in the choir, too busy to be bothered, so bound by grudges and offenses and bitterness. They know they should do more. They know they should give more. They know they should pray more. They know they should worship more. But instead, we board our ships like Jonah did. We board at Joppa and we go to Tarshish the opposite direction. We run from what we know that God is calling us to do. Can I preach to you today? How many of you really know that God's calling you to do more than what you've been doing? But we run to Tarshish. We run. When we know what God's trying to get us to do, we fill our time with everything else. We board our ships and we pay the fare. And we go the opposite direction of what we know God's calling us to do. We show up on Sunday morning and sit in our pews and act like we've God, done God a favor by giving him our presence instead of him giving us his. And so God has turned to Nineveh, people who don't have the truth, people who don't have the Holy Ghost, people who don't have baptism in Jesus' name, and people who don't have a revelation of holiness but they're seeking him and they're calling on him and they're worshiping him. And so God has turned his eyes towards Nineveh, that great city. Whew, man, I feel something in the Holy Ghost right now. When Nineveh heard the call of God to repent, they got serious. They started praying and repenting. They fasted. They made their kids fast. They even made their animals fast. Read the Bible. They wouldn't even let their cows eat because they were so hungry for God to turn the judgment. They put sackcloth on. So every time they would move, that scratchy garment would remind them that we need God. And if God don't move, everywhere they moved, that sackcloth reminded them how desperate they were for God. They held prayer meetings all over Nineveh to find God. And here's what Jonah, the last verse of Jonah chapter 3 said, verse 10. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them. And he did it not. God sent revival to Nineveh. God sent revival to that great city that was full of all that sin and full of all that mess and full of all that stuff. But God loved them and went to them and they repented. God sent it to our world, sent it to North Mississippi. God saw their repentance and spared them. That was the last verse of chapter 3. But look at the very first verse of the chapter 4. The next verse. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. Jonah was displeased. 
because God spared Nineveh. The word displeased in the original Hebrew meant to be sad to the point of trembling and quivering. Can you imagine him sitting on the hill hoping to see fire come down and consume all those people? The judgment and wrath of God and when God didn't send judgment but God sent mercy, he was so mad, he was shaking. And he was very angry. That word angry, it means to burn. To be set on fire with anger, to be incensed. Jonah is furious that sinners were repenting and God was moving. God, I hope I'm not ever so spiritually hard hearted that I'm offended when you start to reach for people. God, oh God. Listen, I'm not a fool. I'm not a fool. Sometimes I act like one, but I'm not a fool. I know all these people in these revival services all around the country. I know not all of them are going to come to truth. And I know not all of them are maybe there for all the right reasons. But I'm going to tell you, some are and some will. And instead of throwing rocks at them and saying, that ain't God, that ain't. Why don't we just pray, God, get a hold of them. God. I tell you what would be even better is why don't we start praying, God, do it here. Let people lined up to get in here. I'd like to have to put a preacher in the prayer room and a preacher in the children's church and a preacher in the gym and a preacher in the dining room to hold all the people. So God, do it here. I don't want to be a Jonah generation that I would rather God judge people than forgive them. spent my whole life, I started preaching, I really seriously started preaching at 17, I preached a time or two before that, but I, at 17 I really started, I started traveling and preaching revivals at 18, at 19 I was a full time evangelist, preached here July of 1991, just before my 20th birthday, I spent my whole life preaching and praying for revival. And wouldn't it be pitiful if I've invested my entire life into preaching and praying for something and then criticize somebody for wanting it to stir people up, stir people up, God stir people in Bethlehem church, stir people at First Baptist and Potts Camp, stir people at Salem, God. Stir people up and down these roads in our cities, in our schools, in our villages, in our factories, in our workplaces. God, stir this nation. Send revival, God. Send revival. I don't want to be a Jonah generation that sits here and waits for the fire to fall. God, forgive me if I sit in a church and I say, God, get the drug addict, get the alcoholic, get the adulterer, get the fornicator. Let fire fall on them. But I can't find my way to an altar and pray, God, save them. God sees it as a great city. Let me tell you, I look at this nation and I see all kinds of problems with it. Murdering babies in the womb. 
violence committed. Every kind of perversion is glorified. And if you don't agree with their lifestyle, they call you a bigot. All kinds of sin and dope and alcoholism and everything else that's going on in this world. I know, I know, I know America is one of the most wicked places. America burps out more pornography in one day than all the generations before used to. I'm telling you, this nation is a wicked nation, but I'm not asking God, destroy the wicked. I'm saying, God, if you'll save them, they'll quit doing it. God, if you'll move in their homes, if you'll move in their lives, God, if you'll stir their heart, God, if you'll find them, go to the meth house and find them right now, God. God, touch that alcoholic that's in bed with a hangover. Touch his heart with mercy, with grace. God, save him. God looks at America like he looked at Nineveh. Stand with me. I preached too long. Some of you, that's the first amen you could say. Why might God be turning to these young people? Because they're not as steeped in their traditions and dead denominationalism as their parents and grandparents. They're tired of dead church. They're tired of dead church services. They're tired of worship services that have no pulse and no move of the spirit. They're tired of gathering at dead altars and hearing a 15-minute motivational speech and seeing their parents go home and still be perverts and drunks. They know there has to be more. And I'm telling you, there is more. That's why God's stirring them up. And God, stir us up. Stir us up. Stir us up. I'm praying, God, let somebody's Holy Ghost start to get a pulse back in them. God, let somebody suck somewhere between a pew and this congregation right now. Let them feel that pulse, God. God, let somebody watching online, going down the road, sitting in their living room, wherever, but however, God, let, it get, let them feel something in there. So it's a call of God. It's a call of God. It's a call of God. It's a call. It's a call. Oh, come on, somebody ought to pray. I'm trying, I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best to pull something out of this congregation. You know what I want to pull out of you more than anything else? I want to pull mercy and compassion and grace. We had a young man from our church went to one of the largest Pentecostal conferences in America a couple weeks ago, two, three weeks ago or whatever. Hundreds, thousands, literally thousands of preachers. He mentioned that he was from here, from this church, and this preacher from another organization in a far off. He made a comment, Brother Wilson, he said, that church has always been known for preaching the pain off the walls. about me and you and your dad and bragging on us. I don't even know who he was. And, and, I, and I'm flattered. 
I'd so much rather people hear about Bethlehem. I'd rather them hear that church loves lost people more than any place I've ever seen in my life. How would they would say that's the most merciful, compassionate group of people that there's ever been. That's the, that, that church, if I ever need an answer to prayer, I'm going to call those people because that's what I really want them to say about us. Oh, God, why don't you lift your hands all over this place? Why don't you let an anointing for prayer move in this place? If there's anybody here that's got anything to get right with God, you're in the right place. The presence of the Lord is here. If you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you've come to the right place. It falls every time we come together. Thank God. If you need baptized in Jesus' name, the only name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved, we can baptize you in Jesus' name. Just like the Bible says. Oh God, help us not to be a Jonah. Help us not to be Jonah. Next time somebody drives by and their music's blaring all kinds of curse words and thumping, you're rattling your windows on your car. Don't say, I wish those young people. Say, God, save them. Oh, come on, let's pray. I don't even know what to do right now. I just know I feel the hand of God moving in this place. I know I feel the grace and goodness of God flowing in this house right now. I wonder if there's anybody that'll pray for Nineveh. I wonder if there's anybody that'll let yourself be the conduit for revival. Oh, come on, let's pray all over this place. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. God, move us with compassion. Move us with compassion, God. Move our hearts with compassion. Give us a heart for lost people. 
give us a heart for this generation, for this world. Give us a heart to pray for our nation, to pray for our world, to pray for our cities. Help us to see them like you do, God. I wish the prayer room would be so full tonight that we'd have to bring the prayer meeting into the sanctuary to house everybody. Oh, that's right. Lord, pour your spirit on our sister this morning. In the name of Jesus, let fire from heaven, let the Holy Ghost be poured out. In Jesus' name.
take the hand of somebody close to you or put your hand on their shoulder? And why don't we just pray together? God, help the church to be the answer for this generation, not the hindrance. Help us, God, to be seized with compassion and mercy, forgiveness, God, help us to pray for the Nineveh that we live in. Help us, God, to pray for Nineveh. Help us to pray for our lost family, our lost neighbors, our friends, those people whose lives are so bound by sin that they're difficult for us to be with. God, let us, let your people, oh God, remember Nineveh. Help us not to be a Jonah that just preaches but then hopes for judgment. 